Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Happy New Year. Thank you for being with us and spending your part of your holiday with us. We look forward to a very good 2021. I think we're all kind of relieved to get 2020 behind us and, and look ahead. Coming up on our program today, we are going to talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, his reaction to some of the choices for key spots in the Biden administration. Now that we're learning more and more about them, We'll get reaction from him. Garrett Hawkins, the new president of Missouri Farm Bureau, talks about his goals as he takes over leadership of that key ag group. And we'll talk with Shauna Morris with the National Milk Producers Federation as she talks about ongoing uh, struggle in uh, dairy policies with Canada. So we'll get the very latest on that and what's being worked on. But we'll start off with Dan Farney. He farms near Peoria, Illinois, and he is the new chair of the United Soybean Board, and I talked with him recently about his goals for the coming year. Thanks for being with us, and congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background, your farming operation in Illinois, and your involvement with United Soybean Board. So, um, been a farmer essentially all my life. Um, started farming with my dad, and that was... Uh, I really enjoyed that, and then he retired, but been farming here in Morton, Illinois, which is close to Peoria, uh, about a 600-acre uh, soybean and corn operation that uh, flips back and forth, so it, it um, about 300 acres of each. How did you get involved with the United Soybean Board? Well, I, I started on um, actually my local county farm bureau board. And then after a while, went to the Illinois Soybean Board um, and then seen how some of the neat stuff that they were doing nationally and and thought that uh, that would be kind of a neat thing to do. So I um, applied to get on in USB and was fortunate to get there. What will your goals and priorities be for USB this coming year under your leadership? Well... So that's interesting. With this whole um, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 thing, we have not been able to meet together since February, and looks like it'll be over a year since that we will able to have an in-person meeting. So kind of one of my goals is really to kind of get back to whatever our new normal is going to be, because as a board of farmers, there's a 78 of us on there, and then you develop really great relationships and friendships, and and that helps in helping discuss and think about different uh, projects we want to invest in. So it, if we can get back to meeting together, I think that's going to help a ton. But other than that, it's the, our board members that do all the work, and I've got a great board. We're talking with Dan Farney, the new chair of the United Soybean Board. Dan from Morton, Illinois, near Peoria. Uh, this is a huge responsibility, Dan, for you and all those that sit on the United Soybean Board because you are responsible for decisions, spending soybean farmers' checkoff dollars. And I know you you uh, take this very seriously. You do a lot of research. There's a lot of information that you go over before those decisions are made. 
Uh, that's very true. Um, it everybody, all soybean farmers, um, you know, put in through the checkoff, and I feel a responsibility to do the very best that we can for each one and and what we invest in. And one of the biggest things that I feel we that we can do is help create demand and drive demand and and help um, push soybean. You know, that'll hopefully help push soybean prices higher. Um, we've got a great staff that helps us with that. Um, like I said, a great board that's very forward thinking and just a lot of smart people on there that I'm proud to be around. I know you've probably, since being on the board, have received these questions. You'll probably get even more now that you're the chair. But probably questions from soybean farmers. How are you spending my money? What are we getting in return for it? You've got you've got a lot of successes, but some things you're investing, whether it's in research or whatever it may be, it takes a while to see the results. Well, that's true. And, and maybe one of the bigger ones that we've done here in the past have been high lake soybeans. And that has been a, really a long-term project that is really seems to be taking off really nicely now. Um, and so if we can create another avenue where, you know, currently it's paying a, a from, in my understanding, like 30 to 60 cent um, premium per bushel for basically raising the same kind of soybeans that we do otherwise. Um, that, that for the people that are kind of in the right area where the processes are that want that, it is, they're looking for acres right now, my understanding. So it's things like that that, you know, and there's a whole ton more that we could talk about. You get a lot of requests for projects that people would like to have funded. I know you have your committee structure. You look at all this information. You you discuss it. You go over it before voting on it. These are big decisions to be made, but you're looking at return on investment, right? Uh, what uh, When you spend those dollars, you want to see what comes back to soybean growers. That's very true. Um, and then... Uh, one of the things we're required to do is actually do a study on how good are we doing. And the last one that we've done, um, which was like a year, a little over a year ago, I think, um, showed that we returned $12.34 of ad added value for each dollar that we invest in soy checkoff. So um, there's just a lot of work that goes on and uh, that it it's mind-boggling almost. I think there's several hundred projects that we invest in in any given year, but um, it does produce results. Can seem at times like a no-win situation. If soybean prices are down, you probably hear from people saying, well, what good is checkoff dollars doing? And when prices are up, some would tend to say, do we even need to keep investing, uh, spending checkoff dollars because prices are already up? So it's almost sometimes a no-win situation. <laughs> Um, I, there could be somebody that might say that, but I would look at it like it, it's a win-win. I mean, I want soybean prices to be up, and I'm willing to continue to invest to um, make them go higher and continue. It's enjoyable when the prices are higher, that's for sure. Which they are right now. What are your prospects uh, uh, for soybean farmers? What's the outlook, do you think, for 2021? Grow soybeans, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yep, sounds like uh, there'll be a lot of that going on for sure as we expect uh, more acres in, in 2021. All right, Dan, thank you very much. Uh, again, congratulations on being uh, uh, chosen as chair of the United Soybean Board for the coming year. Wish you the very best. Thank you. All right, Dan Farney, USB chair from Morton, Illinois. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. President-elect Joe Biden continues to fill out his team for his uh, administration. Want to get reaction? Joining us now is Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Uh, Let's start with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack coming back to USDA. Your thoughts on that choice? Well, you know, obviously we have a long history working with uh, Secretary Vilsack it's going to make it a lot easier for him to uh, get right into the, 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 the speed of traffic, so to speak, as he, as he rejoins the agency he ran just four years ago. Uh, that allows us to get right to work on, on a, a range of issues that are ongoing at the Department of Agriculture. So we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to him getting back in the building, and, and I think it's a, a wise choice to, uh, to keep a steady hand at the helm and, and someone that we know we can work with and, and uh, find some common ground and, and get some things done. So uh, I think it's a, a smart choice on, on behalf of the Biden team. Another key position, U.S. Trade Representative. He's chosen Catherine Tai. What about that choice? Uh, do you have uh, any uh, history with her? You know, I, I obviously just working on on Capitol Hill uh, uh, in her role there. We're looking forward to uh, to working with her in this new role and and you know getting up to speed and helping her understand uh, what agriculture needs, what the cattle industry needs from from some of these trade deals. That's such an important piece, Mike, as you know of. Of, of us uh, broadening our consumer base around the world. And uh, we're in the middle of a lot of negotiations around the world right now, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So that's a pivotal role for us, and uh, we're excited to engage with her and, and start having that conversation. A lot of talk about the possibility of getting into something similar to TPP. Uh, is, are you hearing that? Do you think that's a strong possibility? What would that mean for the cattle industry? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think part of what we want to try to avoid is reinventing the wheel uh, simply because there's a new administration coming in. Where we have uh, seen progress over the last couple of years, obviously, we were supportive of TPP in its original form. Uh, we're, we're pleased with the bilateral deal we have now with the Japanese. I mean, it's, it's providing us the access we need. Uh, we've regained a, a, a majority share there in the, uh, in the market of, of countries importing to Japan. Uh, so we, we don't want to you know, we don't want to throw out progress that's been made already. There's plenty of other areas to focus on on uh, new trade relationships. Obviously, the EU and the UK, there are ongoing conversations there. There's plenty of work to be done there, as well as furthering the relationship with China. Um, so obviously, this administration is going to want to leave their their imprint on those conversations. But I think we're going to continue to stress the importance of not, not revisiting uh, arrangements that are working well for agriculture now. And instead, let's turn to new business. 
We're talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. President-elect Biden has chosen Representative Deb Holland of New Mexico to be Interior Secretary. What are your thoughts on that choice? You know, uh, it's it's not a choice we were we were uh, I I mean it's a choice we were expecting. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, Congresswoman Holland over the last few weeks and and last month or so. You know, she's uh, she's been very engaged in in uh, a segment of issues that are uh, important at the Department of Interior. Uh, this is going to be a, a big ramp up for her as far as all of these other issues that that the the nation's land managers deal with. The Department of Interior is an incredibly complex place with a lot of statutory stakeholder obligations, not the least of which being obviously federal grazing rights, uh, but also administration of the Endangered Species Act and, and countless other areas uh, that are really impactful to agriculture and to ranchers. So she now is going to have a, a difficult challenge ahead of her balancing, I think, the sort of the hopes and dreams, for lack of a better description, of the progressive wing of her party. We've already seen that in the last 24 hours or so since, uh, since her nomination, uh, as far as, you know, kind of their their ambitions for her time at the Department of Interior, uh, and she's going to have to balance that with the, the, the nuts and bolts of, of running that, that complex agency and all of the resources that they manage. We're standing ready to, to help her with that, help her navigate that, and, and probably most importantly for us, help her understand the irreplaceable role that ranchers play in conserving those resources and, and protecting that 500 million acre uh, workload that, that she's going to be assuming. Yeah, as you alluded to, that position will be one that you in the cattle industry, with the beef industry, you'll be working closely because decisions made by the Interior Department will have a great impact on, on ranchers across the country. Oh, they're, they're, they're wide-reaching, and, and really they go beyond just the cattle industry, and they speak to the rural communities uh, that we support around the country. So many communities are supported by the ranching industry, uh, and, and, and helping her to understand the scope of that and the, the impact that small decisions can have, the ripple effect throughout those communities if you don't have uh, a healthy respect for you know, some of those environmental goals, which we support. Let's, let's make sure we're, we're doing that, but also recognizing the critical contribution that's already being made by those communities uh, you know, in, in those areas. Uh, that's that's going to be that's always the case. That was certainly uh, the case at the beginning of the Trump administration and the Biden administration before that. You know, you get a new team coming in and the new administration, Mike, and and first things first, you you start helping them understand just what you do and how you do it and what you need from them to be successful. So we we look forward to having those conversations with her and her team uh, should she be confirmed, and and uh, we're ready to get to work. Another key choice. Michael Regan, head of North Carolina's Department of Environmental Quality, is, is the pick to be the administrator for EPA. Uh, what can you tell us about Michael Regan? You know, I think it's been interesting to see some of the reactions out of North Carolina. Uh, guys like Ray Starling, who, who certainly um, understand this national landscape, uh, coming out and saying, look, this is a guy we can work with. He's a guy that understands agriculture, that's shown a willingness to work with agriculture. Certainly, uh, his perspectives on some of these issues are probably going to be uh, more left of center than, than maybe most of agriculture might be. But, but he's, he's been a guy that has established a track record of, of 
of willingness to have those conversations and willingness to find common ground. Uh, and that's, that's great news. That's something we can work with. Uh, we can engage there and start having some conversations on those range of issues uh, that he will oversee at EPA. So we're, we're excited to get started there as well and, and uh, uh, you know, start to build that relationship with him and, and help him get to work. What do these choices, these and the other choices being made by Joe Biden, what, if any, message are they sending about the direction that this administration is planning to go? Well, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, since Election Day, we've been watching uh, the Democratic Party sort of try to sort out uh, how they fared and, and maybe some of the, uh, the disappointing results they had in rural America uh, and, and results that maybe were less than what they were expecting, even in, in suburban areas around the country, uh, both in the presidential and in congressional elections. And they now need to balance that. They now need to balance some of those progressive voices that want to see very aggressive change in, in, in a lot of these agencies, whether it be the Department of Agriculture, or Interior, or elsewhere, um, with the, the, the needs of, of, of rural communities around the country uh, and some, of, some representatives and, and, and more moderate Democrats that are now vocally begging them to not go so far as to make them irrelevant. Um, that's going to be a difficult push and pull, and I think you're seeing that in, in their efforts to try to balance out members of this climate team that, uh, that President-elect Biden and his advisors are starting to put together. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think we're all in the agriculture world going to have to be really uh, uh, aggressive in educating everyone coming through the door in the important role that we play. So much of the narrative uh, on the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is sort of uh, immediately negative on, on agriculture and really misses the, the, the fantastic contributions that we make uh, to sustainability and, and, and climate. So job number one is going to be getting that conversation to a good and productive spot and, and uh, making sure that they're using good science, using uh, uh, the right kind of data to, to make effective decisions and not take some of their best tools uh, for their agenda off the table by assuming that we're a, a negative rather than a positive. And I, and I think there are some folks coming in that are going to be willing to have that conversation, but it is going to be a push and pull, um, not just here, but throughout this administration. It's just the nature of a divided country that we're in right now. I think as we often talk about, there will be challenges, but also opportunities, as you said, an opportunity to sit down and, and get to know these people and let them get to know you and talk about the issues. And I think you hit on the key as they make some decisions, especially in some climate environmental issues moving forward and policies, make sure they are aware of agriculture's role, what agriculture is doing, and uh, hopefully give credit to the contributions agriculture is making and not just uh, uh, cast blame as some want to do on uh, on agriculture. So so hopefully you get off on the right foot. And uh, uh, I think that here again, a strength of having Tom Vilsack back will be that familiarity that you have there uh, with him. So we'll see how it all plays out. We'll hope for a good 2021. Ethan, we'll talk to you often. Thanks a lot. Great talking to you, Mike. Thank you. All right. Take care. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
New president for the Missouri Farm Bureau, Garrett Hawkins, joins us now. Garrett, congratulations. Good to talk with you again. And uh, I know you have to be excited about the about this new opportunity. Well, Mike, one, it's good to, to visit with you, my friend. Uh, we've worked so, so much and so often through the years. I'm thrilled to visit with you. And, and yes, I can sum up by saying it's been a whirlwind and quite a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> Yeah, and and really like going home because you have spent a, a quite a bit of time working with Missouri Farm Bureau over the years. I have, and as as I've been meeting with our our employees over the last few days, I've said over and over again, I do feel like I'm home. Um, this this journey that my family and I embarked on a few months ago, it just felt right having these conversations with our county members across the state and. Uh, I'm extremely uh, um, grateful that they would that they would give me this responsibility uh, to help carry the organization forward on their behalf. You worked for Missouri Farm Bureau for a number of years in uh, in in policy issues, legislative issues, both in state and on a national level. Uh, I would think that would certainly help with this transition now to the leadership position that you're in, uh, because those are the issues you're going to be working on. <laughs> That's right, Mike. Um, you know, I guess our members know that I'm grassroots at heart because I've worked with them for so many years to to carry their voice um, both to the state and national capitals, and and I understand the policy development process and respect it because uh, I helped work with them that through the years. And so, you know, I've said many times I can flip through our policy book, and and more often than not, I can look at a policy and recall what county it came from or what members spoke on the delegate floor because I've always believed to to be a strong advocate for Farm Bureau policy, you need to know the story behind it and, and know how it impacts members and obviously, you know, wearing my farmer hat as well and being able to, to tell that story. So it's, um, I'll put those skills to work, uh, but always keeping in mind who I'm there to represent. Garrett Hawkins, new president of Missouri Farm Bureau, should point out the last few years you've been working at the Missouri Department of Agriculture. I know you've enjoyed working with Director Chen and uh, uh, that opportunity. Uh, you'll you'll be saying goodbye to some good friends there, but you'll be working with them still in just a different capacity. You bet, you bet. And, it, you know, stepping away from Farm Bureau, we had already started the transition back to the family farm, Mike, uh, several years ago to start growing our cattle operation. And uh, that's where we wanted to raise our kids. And and so doing that and then serving at the department as deputy director really gave me a different perspective, uh, stepping outside of Farm Bureau and obviously working closely with Farm Bureau, but having the chance to be on the outside and see the organization and see its effectiveness um, gave me a different perspective, but it also helped uh, help prepare me in a lot of ways of managing a workforce across the state, uh, giving me experience uh, of diving into the rulemaking process from that standpoint and making decisions, listening to constituents. So I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, again, it's just my career has been spent in service and trying to help those and all of us in production agriculture. And I just... <laughs> Sometimes I have to pinch myself to to, to just see, <laughs> just yeah. to see where we're at today. Well, you mentioned uh, grassroots, and certainly that's how the Farm Bureau system works. And um, 
Did the delegates have any major policy changes uh, at your uh, recent meeting uh, as far as kind of your your marching orders moving forward for this coming year? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Mike, because, you know, this has been such a, a, a different, weird year, right? And so the delegates um, considered essentially a hybrid process when we did our virtual annual meeting over the weekend. And so uh, the State Resolutions Committee and the State Board advanced a, a group of about eight resolutions spanning state and federal policy that uh, were asked or posed to the voting delegates to to expedite um, to get those approved so that we can carry those to American Farm Bureau or start working with state legislators. And you're gonna you're not gonna be surprised that several of those issues deal with market structure issues in the livestock sector, uh, particularly with some legislative proposals that are that were introduced in, in the current Congress and that will be reintroduced next session. Also about meat processing and looking at um, enhanced flexibility as you look at um, out-of-state sales of state-inspected meat. So there were several issues that clearly came through the process that came through because of what our farmers and ranchers have experienced this past year. We just talked with AFBF President Zippy Duvall, and looking on the national level, it's pretty obvious that climate change issues are going to be a big focus here the next few years uh, in a Biden administration and with Tom Bilsack at USDA. So that that will be an area as we watch and see how this develops, how policy develops, how this will play with agriculture. And Zippy talked about the importance of the voluntary approach. That's what farmers will be watching for closely. Uh, he is exactly right. And, you know, I'm no stranger to this issue. I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, it's funny, Mike, issues never seem to really go away. Sometimes right. they bubble to the surface and they may ebb a little bit and, and sometimes they're repackaged. So here we go again. Uh, clearly, uh, President Duvall is spot on in terms of voluntary. I mean, I can tell you our members are already talking about and anticipating what we may be facing from a regulatory standpoint. Um, you know, again, we're, we're fully prepared to engage in those discussions, knowing that some of these may be retread-type proposals, right? So, so that's certainly going to, to impact our agenda. I'm excited to, to be a part of the AFBF policy process from this seat now and participate in the resolutions committee next week and engage in these discussions. Um, it, it's certainly going to be an interesting time. Some key changes in, in leadership within Congress, within even the ag committees. Uh, I've spent a lot of time walking the halls of Congress with you and, and going into those <laughs> offices. And I, I, and I know you're well-respected there, well-connected there, but there will be some new faces in some key spots. There will be. Um, so, you know, I've been trying to keep up with ag media to see, uh, leadership changes, particularly within ag committees. But, you know, the last few days I've been doing one-on-one -on -one Zoom meetings or, or teleconferences with members of our delegation to just get reacquainted and talk about what's on their plates and, and recap what I've been hearing in the countryside the last few months. And, and again, our hybrid policy development process and also let them know I'm working with the members to, to finish the policy book, so to speak, for 2021. So, you know, it's great to to 
to be um, working with, I mean, you know, we have a tremendous congressional delegation that, that does a great job representing ag in rural Missouri. So I'm excited to engage with them and, and know that we've got some tough issues ahead, and that's fine. I mean, that's nothing new to agriculture. Um, we just have to make sure that the grassroots stay engaged and stay motivated, and, and we'll, still, uh, we'll still accomplish a lot. And what do you see, Garrett, as your big state issues that you'll be working on? Well, we're we're still <laughs> we're still going through uh, those issues. It always seems like Mike that there's always a, a property rights element, uh, typically mm-hmm. uh, discussion in the state capitol. Uh, so I'm actually meeting with our staff today to talk through um, options, what we've been hearing, new policies, and try to start sorting out what our priorities are going to be. Uh, I'm starting to also visit with some of the uh, leaders in the Capitol as well. Um, had a meeting with Missouri Electric Co-ops yesterday uh, with their CEO that's been around for two years. Um, clearly, broadband has been a priority for us at the state and federal level. We want to continue to work with partners um, and legislators, Governor Parson. We all are, are wanting to move the needle further and faster on broadband. Uh, we see federal dollars coming into the state. So, so I truly expect broadband will continue to be one of our priorities at the state level. And, um, and I don't know. We're just gonna, We're just going to keep working hard, Mike. Well, I know you'll do that. You always have, and uh, uh, well, I think of a lot of the a lot of the times we've had together and the things uh, you've worked on. I've seen you work uh, in front of the in front as well as behind the scenes, and I know that you get things done, and uh, you have a lot of experience in these areas that uh, you'll be able to call upon. And hey, you'll be able to find your way around the building pretty well, I think, don't you? <laughs> I can. Um, um, they've been worried about me because I do like to wander around the building and visit with employees and hear what's on their minds. So uh, they know they have to send a search party out for me every once in a while to see where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, but truly, it's, uh, it is a joy. Employees and members alike know I am full of energy. I've had several members say that they don't know if they can keep up with my energy level. But, uh, uh, I mean, you know... You know, it's truly genuine because I love this organization. I was raised in this organization and came up through youth programs. And uh, I feel strongly that, you know, I've been a member. I'm a farmer myself. And uh, I'm just I'm really excited to work with the membership and take this organization to to a whole new level. And I've had great mentors in Blake Hurst and Charlie Cruz to learn from through the years. And uh, I know they're only, um, as long as they don't block my number, I know I can keep them on speed <laughs> dial. <laughs> yeah, those are great mentors and great resources to have. And I, I can attest that you are hard to keep up with, that's for sure. Garrett, <laughs> congratulations again. Really wish you the very best. Look forward to working with you here in your new capacity as president of Missouri Farm Bureau. Great great uh, news and I'm, I wish you all the best thank you Mike let's stay in touch alright take care Garrett Hawkins new president of Missouri Farm Bureau hey, stay with us information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
The Trump administration has taken the first step in challenging Canada's implementation of new tariff rate quotas. Here with the latest is Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, thanks for joining us. Uh, Give us uh, the latest on this. What does this uh, step by the administration mean and where do we go from here? Thanks, Mike. Appreciate being able to join. Uh, Well, I'd say, frankly, the biggest thing it means is a clear indication that there's a strong willingness to make sure that our trading partners are living up to the promises they make. Uh, With the administration filing for consultations with Canada on the dairy tariff rate quotas earlier this week, that's the first start in the process to enforcing our rights. And also, I think, laid out the really clear case for how Canada's deviated from its promises with respect to that issue to date. The next step, if Can you- agreement can't be reached in that consultation process, might be having to escalate to a full dispute settlement case. But we'll take things one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Can you explain for our listeners exactly what is the complaint with Canada's policy? Absolutely. So under USMCA, most of the new market access that Canada granted to the U.S. for our dairy exports was done through tariff rate quotas. A tariff rate quota allows in a certain amount of product up to a a volume threshold, and then after that, you apply heavy tariffs to try to discourage more of it from coming in. That means that whoever gets the right to import uh, at the low tariff level uh, within that certain volume uh, is the ones that are actually bringing in the product. How Canada divvied out access to those dairy product imports, though, was done in a really tilted way. It awarded the vast majority, 85% in most cases, of the tariff rate quota access to processors. Uh, In many cases, ones that are competing directly against the type of products that we want to ship to Canada. So we're really looking to broaden the supply chain options to be able to sell to a wider variety of customers in Canada. So basically, by what Canada is doing, that keeps U.S. dairy producers from uh, gaining the what they thought they were getting in USMCA as far as increased market share. That's exactly the concern, that the way Canada is handling its market access under USMCA is likely to result in fewer shipments. And, and lower value shipments than we had anticipated we'd be able to get under USMCA. Kind of a reminder, Shauna, that trade deals in and of themselves don't assure market access, but they create then the framework for addressing those issues, and that's what we have here. It's, this is coming down to enforcement of the new trade deal USMCA. Absolutely. And frankly, I think that's a critical point, not just for our industry and not just for this deal, but across the board. Uh, Because what you put on paper is really the starting point, uh, demonstrating that you're willing to follow through, aggressively monitor compliance with what's on paper and challenge the trading partner when they're deviating from it sends a really important signal, not just to Canada, but to the other countries that we have trade agreements with as well that cover, of course, not just dairy, but a whole spectrum of different ag issues. Okay, you talked about what this could lead to. Kind of take us through the steps of how this could play out now. So 
the U.S. certainly, of course, has raised these concerns with Canada. Uh, the step taken this week, though, ratchets that up to a more formal level. These consultations are required negotiations between the U.S. and Canada to try to find a solution. Hopefully, uh, although I'm not holding my breath given that it's Canada and dairy, uh, that could address the, the problem and we would see Canada make changes in how it's handling its dairy market access imports. If not, though, uh, the next step would be to basically take it to court. Uh, USMCA has a dispute settlement process where e each country can effectively charge that the others violated the deal and bring it before a panel of judges to hear out both sides in the case. Uh, so that would be the next step if agreement's not able to be reached at this first next one. So it could be a while if it goes through all that. That could take a while. It could take a bit, which is why we're so glad that they have gotten this process started. Uh, obviously, it's not one that's going to be completed uh, in all likelihood, uh, before the changeover in administration, uh, making it key that we see follow through next year as well in continued engagement with Canada on it. That was going to be my next question. With a change in administration, does this just carry over, keep going, or do you have to start all over uh, with a new administration? The process itself won't need to start over just because the administration has changed on the U.S. side, uh, but certainly this is one of the key issues that we'll be educating the incoming team on uh, and that we've already begun taking steps to help brief the transition team on its importance. I think an important piece for us that we've been gratified to see is the continued very strong bipartisan support from Congress uh, that this is the right direction and that this is an important piece that deserves continued action in the coming year as well. Well, you'll have someone very uh, interested in this and very knowledgeable about this issue at USDA with Tom Vilsack going to be the next Secretary of Agriculture. Absolutely. I think all of agriculture is really fortunate uh, that he's been nominated to, to retake the reins there. He's really uniquely qualified to be able to take over USDA during this really challenging time for so many of the agriculture sectors and, and rural America more broadly. And of course, uh, Tom Vilsack uh, will be coming from his current job of president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council and has said he applauds the U.S. Trade Representative, for hearing our concerns and relying on our guidance to take this critical enforcement step to ensure that the agreement is executed in both letter and spirit. Again, that's Tom Vilsack talking about this action. Shauna, thank you very much for the update. We'll be watching it closely and, uh, and stay in touch with you. Thank you. Thank you. Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Have a great weekend, a safe weekend again. Be safe and hope you'll join us again on Monday right here on AOA.